It's really important, uh, like you spoke about sort of the hub and spoke idea, which is that um, we have to buy the things that are right for our company. It's not just, is this the right market or sub-market, but is this the right place for our company right now? This is Durable Value. Get investing and business insights from industry experts and successful entrepreneurs every week. Like and subscribe now. Let's talk today about operating in inefficient markets, knowing how and where to invest in inefficient markets, how to spot opportunities. Um, this, uh, inefficient markets are interesting because they're, they're asymmetrical. The information is not uh, widely disseminated. Yep. There's nuances to it. You have to develop a lens on how to look at it, and then you have to have a, an execution ability uh, that allows you to execute on that information to make uh, great, great investments. Well, and I, I'd add that th- this is really absolutely central and core to our thesis. This is, this is the m- type of market that we love investing in is these mm-hmm. inefficient markets because you, you really can develop a special amount of alpha or knowledge and execution that, that you can't in a more um, efficient market. Yeah. Most of our investing strategy these days is uh, value-add multifamily and value-add small bay industrial. And as uh, we are working on selecting markets to invest in, uh, you have to sort of start with worldview and then work down to execution. But in worldview, we filter in a few different ways. The first uh, and most important filter um, that we're looking for out there is demand, high demand, and that's measured by low vacancy. Mm-hmm. So I've been working a lot on these charts where we sort uh, submarkets and tertiary markets by vacancy rate. Across the Western U.S. Across the Western yeah. U.S. and start with where is there, you know, one, two, three, four percent vacancy rate. Um, these are markets where there's room to run. Clearly, there's not enough uh, property for what, what the market wants. Um, I, I, we follow that up by where are rents still on the affordable side for multifamily? That might mean where are rents, average rents at 1400 or 1300, uh, mm-hmm. per month on the industrial side, uh, annualized, maybe that's, um, 750 or $8, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. per square foot per month. Um, and then uh, on the multifamily side after that, it's or, or on both sides, it's wh- where's the price per door or the price per square foot. So what we're looking for, too, is where, uh, where there's good bang for the buck on affordability uh, for your basis on the real estate. Mo- most market, of what we look for yeah. is uh, price compared to replacement cost, looking for safety in there. When you're getting near replacement cost, uh, you know, you, you be, don't have be that. Be scared. You should be nervous. <laughs> you should be nervous. So those are some of the... Key ways, I'd say one other uh, thing we've used is like ARP score or quality of life score to measure how sticky these locations are. Like once we know it's affordable or or once we know it's in demand and it's affordable, is this a a reasonably good place to live? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then we'll look at more qualitative things like if there are employment drivers and universities or other kind of, uh, you know, economic engines in the in the markets as well. Mm hmm. And then the last thing is we look for clusters. Yeah. You know, we look for parts of the Western U.S. where we see a cluster of these because for us, you know, I think uh, kind of also stepping back philosophically, we are not a, a group that helicopters or dabbles in markets. We're not looking to buy one asset here, one asset there, one asset there, because we view that as risk. We, we ultimately look to develop scale in the markets where we're investing. And so finding those clusters is important because it allows us 
to know that there's enough of a market that we can buy multiple multifamily assets or, and multiple industrial assets in those markets, developing the economies of scale and also the, um, you know, the market knowledge that gives us that competitive advantage. There's a great reward for being number one in a market. In Sacramento, over the last few years, there have been times where we've been the most active buyer in Sacramento. What that means is we saw every deal. Mm -hmm. Um, We've we've seen every deal and we know every nuance and we get all the very best information, which lets you see little spots to invest that uh, others won't see. Yeah. You know, prices as prices have gotten higher and higher, we've paused a little bit there. Yeah. But um, I think in these next six, eight, 12 months, as prices are coming down a little bit, it'll be a great time to reenter that market. Um, yeah. And let's talk maybe a little bit about um, the acquisition process in an inefficient market. And then we can talk a little bit about the execution and how that looks different in an sure. inefficient market. It's really important, uh, like you spoke about sort of the hub and spoke idea, which is that. Um, we have to buy the things that are right for our company. It's not just, is this the right market or sub-market, but is this the right place for our company right now? And, and that means uh, buying in clusters and yeah. uh, you know, working to buy a, a hub where, there's, where you can staff and then add on smaller stokes or, or spokes rather, <laughs> sorry. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so uh, sometimes that means buying a big property and then buying a bunch of small ones where returns might be higher than that bigger one but because they're all in the same area, you can execute yeah. better. Yeah. So it, it also means you understand the rent movement better. Sometimes, mm-hmm. uh, oftentimes, better than the brokers. They have yeah. an idea. They might have co-star data, but they're not seeing the real-time, on-the-ground information that you may be seeing based on the renewals you're getting, the rents you're charging, yeah. the operating efficiencies that uh, you're actually achieving. Well, a good example, um, we owned an asset in Modesto, California, um, and as the market rents were growing at a very fast clip, we also, we then were looking at another property to buy in Modesto, another 160 unit, uh, community. And because we knew in real time what the actual market rents were, we were able to underwrite the, the next property in a much more efficient manner than a group kind of, you know, helicoptering in and, pulling reports to, to gain their conviction around what market rents are and yeah. where they're going. It's a sampling process. You're yeah. seeing deal after deal after deal, and you can see the ones that uh, for some reason are mispriced or uh, favor what we do better than, than others. So um, Maybe you could talk a little bit about how that happens when we go into new markets. Yeah. Well, uh, we recently bought a 168 uh, apartments or more likely uh, – single-family homes or townhouses yeah. in, in yeah. Bakersfield. Um, a lot of that happened because we were uh, seeing deals in Visalia and Fresno and Modesto, um, and, and the, the prices were getting much higher, but Bakersfield seemed to be lagging. Also, this particular asset uh, came up with very new construction, and our price per square foot was incredible. Um, so, you know, it was, it was, a, it was seeing a, a deal pop up, um, and, and by that, I mean, yeah. we were um, one of the first bidders to bid on it. It didn't hit the market. Yeah. And yeah. we were able to uh, lock it up and go into escrow and close on it. But Yeah, and, and uh, it's not uncommon, like what happened there. You know, we underwrote a particular market rent based on the, the, our best information. And uh, then we actually get into the market. We operate. We have yeah. our team and staff. And we have that feedback loop 
that's so important and why why we manage our own properties. And we we find that market rent is growing at an even faster clip than than we had originally anticipated. So so a few things were happening. Number one, uh, we were comparing the price per unit in Bakersfield to what we were seeing, especially in Visalia and Fresno, which were rising much higher. And secondarily, we were, we were able to see this asset through a different lens. Um, mm-hmm. These were townhouses with garages, with driveways and city streets. This was much more like single family home development than it was apartments. But we were able to be at a price that was much lower than apartments were trading at in, mm-hmm. in other nearby mm-hmm. markets. So for a couple of reasons, this was uh, much better. Also, our price per square foot was was excellent. Our yeah. replacement, our cost compared to replacement cost is is outstanding. So. Yeah. Maybe we can speak a little bit about execution and and what operating in inefficient markets looks like on execution. Um, I, I the way I, I often uh, speak of it is it's it's kind of like going into a market and having a toolkit or a quiver full of arrows that nobody else in the market has, yeah. and that's that is uh, such an important aspect of our execution because. We're operating in markets that generally are uninstitutionalized. Generally, um, the the most active participants in the market are private families, maybe out of area private families, but certainly private families and other local groups. We come in and uh, we use simple tools that have been pretty regularly deployed in primary markets, but just have not been deployed in secondary tertiary markets. I mean, dynamic rent pricing for one uh, you know, where, where rents are marked to market on a daily basis based on demand throughout the market instead of on a monthly basis. And a lot of the markets we operate in, maybe 5 10% of the uh, communities are on dynamic rent pricing, um, whereas you go to primary markets, you know, 80%, 90% of them are on dynamic rent pricing. Yeah. I think we live on the edge of institutionalization in that some yeah. of our assets fit that already. Some are just on the other side, but we, we live on that piece of tension and we're able to build a construction, construct a portfolio that gets the returns of both sides and blends those together. And we're able to bring some yeah. slightly non-institutional properties in, into the institutional fold. And yeah. I think we get better scale and opportunity uh, because uh, from properties on the other side. But yeah. Each, each market's different. Their property taxes are different. Insurance rates are different. Staffing availability is different. Mm-hmm. Um, municipal municipal costs and taxes and water and sewer yep. are all different. Um, marketing costs can be very different. So uh, as you enter a market, you develop a sensitivity for um, how properties are run and how they should be run. And you can find a pretty good delta there between how some companies run their properties and others run their properties. And uh, if you run them more efficiently, uh, you can really achieve greater return. Yeah, and and uh, that also speaks to the the owner pool. Again, where we have kind of an overlay across multiple markets to be able to utilize, you know, utilize toolkits and strategies in, that we use in current markets and deploy them in other markets. I think what we're saying is uh, there's a greater return in operating in inefficient markets if you know how to operate in inefficient markets. Yeah, yeah. It, it is uh, more of an expert zone. It yep. requires a firm to be an, an active and quick learner. Uh-huh. You have to have the right mindset to know which inefficient markets to play in and then how to enter quickly. There's, yeah. there's always the challenge of locals operate in those markets. And 
I think we hear all the time, oh, it's hard to get in this market. Everything's owned by a couple of families, blah, 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 blah. We, we hear that every single time. But um, the answer is, well, they also operate them like families. They don't yeah. operate them like seasoned professional owners often. Yeah. They have multi-generational challenges as they different owners own different properties. And so for us, uh, getting into that scrum starting with getting executing on one property and being in the market and then beginning at two, three, four, five uh, lets us enter that market. And it, it takes a few years, but uh, we've done it over and over again. Yeah. And, and in times like this, we uh, we're not relying on an institution to come and buy the property from us. We're operating in these markets where it is primarily private family. So a lot of times our buyer is, a 1031 exchange buyer or some other private capital. And uh, during times like this, when you've got institutional capital, perhaps, you know, withdrawing a little bit yeah. or, or on pause, at least, um, it gives us that optionality that we're not reliant on, you know, some institutional exit. Thank you for listening to Durable Value, an investor's podcast, where we demystify commercial real estate with safe, sound investment strategies to help you balance your portfolio. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more, visit grisadapartners.com, where you'll find more information, investors tools, case studies, and more. This podcast is hosted by Joe Miratori and Ryan Suela. It's produced, edited, and mixed by Melodic, with intro music by Ian Post. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.